we are tackling part two of our series on the book of James. Uh, just in terms of getting into the book of James, I don't want to recap too much from last week, but just to say that, that, that this little book that we're kind of diving into and we, we're going to look at it at a street level view, it's very practical, it's very much where the rubber hits the road. And, and the author, James, who was a half-brother of Jesus, his big burden was to um, keep the, the early Christians, the early disciples from believing some deceptive teachings that were going on that you could almost separate faith and fruit, that you could separate believing in God and more and more over time uh, behaving a different way, becoming a different way. He was saying, He's not saying that you have to behave in order to believe or that you uh, need to do certain actions in order to have faith. Rather, he was saying that a natural byproduct of faith, a natural byproduct of a healthy relationship with God, you can't help it, it's going to form fruit. And so last week we took a look at the first part where right off the bat in the first portion of this little letter, he encourages people that are going through trials, people that are going through troubles. If you're feeling like, like you're going through some heat, you know, the heat's been turned up, he encourages them to see it as an opportunity for great joy because he uses this analogy of, of gold or silver that's being melted and how as the heat gets turned up, the impurities rise to the surface and so the goldsmith can actually sort of scoop off this, you know, these impurities and over time, the more the heat gets turned up, the more the impurities are raised and the more he scoops it off. Eventually, the goldsmith can actually see his own image, his own reflection in the gold. And that's the process that God is busy with, with believers, with followers. And so sometimes, sometimes the enemy tries to deceive us and convince us that God is not good and that he's allowing this pain or suffering or the heat that's going on or the stretching that's going on and that and he would try and convince us that God doesn't care, that God's not good, that God's let you down. And I think sometimes he wants to convince us that what is good is bad and what's bad is good. And so that's where we get to the next part of that same chapter where he, where he shifts his attention from testing to temptation. And this is where he tries and, and causes us to see what is bad as something that's good. You have to remember that according to Scripture, he is the father of lies. In fact, it goes on to say that when he lies, he speaks his native language. Like, that's all he can do. He can't speak truth. So 99% of his tactic against us is simply deception. It's to try and convince us of something that's not true. Take a look at how he did it with Adam and Eve right at the very beginning. Like, where he comes to them in the slithering, slimy, subtle way and hisses and questions whether or not God really said. Did God really say it? That you can't eat from any of the fruit. It's like, no, God didn't say that. It's amazing how he just twists a little portion. He said, no, no, we're only not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which, by the way, is interesting. So, so they're asked, the only, the only tree for them not to eat from is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What do they have to gain by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? All they had to gain was a knowledge of evil. They already had a knowledge of good, right? They already had God. They already had this perfect communion with the creator, with, with, with someone who loves them. They already knew good. The only thing, and isn't it amazing that sometimes we can get curious about evil? 
and, and it's like this little shiny, curious, you know, just this interesting thing, like just to find out a little bit more about the gospel, just to find out a little bit more about that scandal, or just to, or just to check out, you know, that series or that movie or that site that we know is dodgy, but like you, there's something in you that makes you think that you need to stay informed. You need to be, you know, exposed. The only problem with that is that you can't unsee what you see. And you can't unknow what you know. You can't, you can't take back some of the stuff. And so, and so slowly but surely, if we're not careful, we, we allow this poison to come into our souls. And God is like, no, no, no. I, exactly like Ivan said. He's not trying to keep something from us. When he was trying to keep that, that fruit from Adam and Eve, he wasn't trying to keep something from them. He was trying to keep something for them. He was trying to keep them in a space of like, you don't need bad, you need good. And you've got good, so be content. And similarly, when we sense that God is trying to keep us within certain boundaries, it's not to keep us from something good for us, it's that he's trying to keep us for something good. He's trying to keep the good for us. And so we're going to dive right in to this passage. We're going to pick up on the scripture that we left off with last week in James chapter 1, verse 12, and then we're going to get into the portion for this evening. It says that God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. So this might discourage you, but if you're in a relationship with God, it doesn't make you immune from testing and temptation. It just doesn't. Testing is guaranteed because that's the only way we grow and, and are strengthened. And unfortunately, and I wish we did, but we don't become immune to temptation. Sometimes we get discouraged and think, well, am I not in a good place with God if I'm facing so much temptation? And Interestingly, sometimes you could be in a great place with God and be facing loads of temptation. Sometimes, if you're in a, the better the place that you're in with God, sometimes the more the enemy actually wants to get you. And don't forget that Jesus was tempted. Jesus was taken away. Jesus didn't eat or drink for, for uh, 40 days, and he was tempted in the desert. So please, again, don't believe the lies of the enemy that, that tries to make you feel bad that you're even getting tempted. There's a difference between being tempted and actually giving in to temptation. There's a difference between having a desire for something that you don't want. You, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want it, but yes, I want it. Okay, I'm not even being in this place, right? Like, like I don't want it, but yes, like, I want it. And so, and so we, you know, I think the enemy can make us feel guilty over even just having the desire for something that we don't actually want when we're in a good space. And so he can put shame, and I'm telling you, he's put a lot of shame onto a lot of people that haven't even done anything yet. It's just the fact that I could even want that. And, and then this guilt, this, this condemnation, and that's not even, I just, I just want to explain to you that there's a difference between sin and temptation, or temptation and sin. You're going to have temptations. You're going to have desires. Verse 13 goes on to say, remember, when, not if, when, you are being tempted. Do not say God is tempting me. In fact, it's actually like a, like a command. Don't you dare say that God is tempting you, is the way it's actually written. No, no, no. Don't you dare put what is due to the enemy onto God. Don't, don't credit God with Satan's activity, with the enemy's activity. Don't you dare blame God. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. 
Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Whatever we feed grows, whatever we starve dies. And so if we give in to sin and we keep giving in to that sin, so we keep allowing that to grow, somewhere along the line eventually, it's going to lead to death. Verse 16, so don't be misled. Or some versions say, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. And then it goes on to explain, no, no, God is good and he's consistent. He's not like a shifting shadow. And we'll look at that in a little bit. But he's like, no, no, don't be deceived about this stuff. And so I really do think that for us to be forewarned is to be, is to be forearmed. For us to have a, a strategy against temptation, a strategy against the enemy, I think you're going to have a much better chance of actually being able to stand your ground, or if you fall, that you can get back up again. Because God's primary concern is that you don't, is that you don't stay down when you fall. His primary concern is that you don't allow your faith to fail. There's a difference between stumbling and falling and actually giving up, allowing my faith to fail. So, a couple of quick points, and these are also on you version if you're wanting to take note over there as well, but the first is simply to recognize the source of the temptation. The source this passage is, is basically referring to is our own desire. So, so it's just kind of our own sinful, messed up nature that sometimes I wish I didn't have, but I do. And so even though we, we celebrate baptisms and, and we kind of symbolic of, of our old life being buried, and as we come up out of the water, it's symbolic. And as we celebrate resurrection life with Jesus, I'd love to tell you that that old man stays buried. But sometimes that old man comes back up again and desires that you wish were gone or not gone. And, and, we, and we have to keep maturing and developing as we keep resisting and fighting this temptation. And to be honest with you, the only time that you're going to be completely finished fighting temptation is when you're dead. But fortunately, death brings life. So, so death's not like death. It's like, yeah, death. Like, I'm dead. Fantastic. Thank you, Jesus. I can finally be free from all of this junk. Anybody looking forward to that day where you're free from your own thoughts sometimes, you're free from your own nature, you, you're free from all these things that are just, like you're just having to, come on, does anyone ever feel like they're in a dogfight? Yeah. Like you're just fighting for your life the whole time. Yeah. Hey, fighting for your destiny, fighting for what God wants for you. I hope you do, because if you don't, that means that you're a little bit too comfortable where you're at. Sometimes it is a fight. And let me tell you something, that the enemy is a he is a dog. He, he's got no compassion. He's never, ever had a moment of mercy. Never. He doesn't feel sorry for you. He wants to beat you while you're down. He wants to discourage you. He wants to destroy you. In fact, the Bible says that he, he is a thief. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants, to take, he wants to steal God's destiny from your life. He wants to steal joy from your marriage. He wants to steal joy from this season that you're in at school where everything in you is like, I just want to be over with this. And God's like, no, 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 there's a purpose there. Like, relax, enjoy it, be present. He wants to steal the stuff that God wants to give to us. And he, in fact, the, the imagery that he's used in this passage is similar to that of a lure, like a fishing lure. If you're going and you're wanting to catch, you know, a really nice big fish, you don't just throw this, this uh, hook into uh, the water and just leave it to dangle. Um, I think we've got a picture that'll come up in a moment. Rather, it's, it's this lure that is attached to the hook. And so all of a sudden, Nemo is like, Yee! you know, and he starts like swimming to, to this other little, you know, lure thinking like lunch. And actually, it's the fisherman who's thinking dinner. 
You know, he's like, fantastic. And so, and so it's, this, it's this deception. It looks like life, but it's death. In fact, isn't it amazing? Those of you that have ever looked at fishing lures, that sometimes the lure looks better than life. It's like, I don't see any live fish that look like this. The dead fish look really good sometimes. And it's deceptive. Isn't that what the enemy's plan is behind pornography? To make death look better than life? Isn't that what he does with foolish debt? Make death look better than life? Let me borrow from my future so that I can get what I want today, but then I'm even in greater debt. Guys, it's like a lure. He's trying to make what is dead look better than life, and God wants us to be aware. In fact, there's a passage in 1 Peter where it says um, that, that, that this enemy, in fact, one version says, this great enemy of yours is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for those who he can devour. Now, you don't have to be afraid of that. You just need to be aware. In fact, in fact, that, that passage starts off by saying, stay alert. Just be aware. Don't be asleep. Be aware. Be alert that you have an enemy who's actually looking for someone who's going to let their guard down. He's looking for someone that's going to stand alone. Because he doesn't attack the weakest sheep. He attacks the most isolated sheep. Stay together. The, the weakest sheep is strong in community. The weakest sheep is strong when, when, when that sheep is living around other people that have got its back and that are healthy and strong. And the predator can't even get into the middle of the pack. In fact, the weakest sheep should be surrounded by the strongest sheep. Should be protected. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. Always, every time, no exceptions. So let's not give in to this. Let's not make excuses. Let's not, by the way, let's not even blame the devil and say, he made me do it. He might tempt you to do it, but you have a choice. If you're a Christian, if you're in a relationship with God, the power of sin is broken, and that's what we celebrate at baptism. So we have a choice. It doesn't mean it's not hard. But I love it that in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, it says that God won't allow you. So God doesn't, God doesn't tempt you. And by the way, if you're in a relationship with him, he won't allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. In fact, it goes on to say that he'll show you a way out. Now, I may tempt myself more than I can handle by placing myself into foolish positions, but let me not blame God for that. Sometimes we blame the enemy for stuff he didn't do, and sometimes we blame God for stuff he didn't do. Anyway, so we need to first recognize the source. Secondly, understand the process of temptation. Take a look at what it says in the English Standard Version, chapter 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's almost, like, it's almost like you think you're giving birth to this child and then as that child grows up, it actually turns out to be poisonous, death, toxic. It, it turns on you. It wants to kill you. Like, it's very graphic imagery, everybody. It's like, it's painting this picture that sin overpromises and underdelivers. It's painting this picture that sin is, is packaged, you know, with, with this amazing looking stuff, but actually it's packed with poison. The, the, the enemy tries to, tries to kind of lure you in 
and then he laughs at you the moment you've been caught. And you've experienced this. You've, you've been fighting, fighting, and then attracted, attracted, and then like, oh, and you just start getting, and then, and, and then it's like, and then you get excited because you're about to go there, and then the moment you cross that line, you feel this guilt, this shame, and he laughs at you. So, the process is number one, temptation. So we actually experience the, the, the luring, the, 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 the drawing. Secondly, as fantasy. So that's when we actually start imagining. What would it be like if I ate it, smoked it, slept with it, hit it, spent it, watched it, mm-hmm. right? And you just start imagining, like, okay, I, I probably not, I'm not going to go there, but you're, uh, that'd be nice. And what's scary is that the more we entertain the idea, so you haven't even sinned yet, but, but, but the more I'm entertaining it, I'm allowing that desire to grow. And if you think that you can just overcome temptation by sheer willpower, you're in trouble. I'm going to think this thing away. No, no, no. You, you don't think it away. You change the channel. You, 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 you change what you're thinking about. You change the focus of your attention. If I'm going to, if I'm going to keep focusing on, don't buy that thing. Don't buy that thing. Don't buy that. It would be amazing. Don't buy that thing. Don't buy, I'm going to want to buy that thing that I shouldn't buy, right? I need, to, I need to change the focus of my attention. So after fantasy, we actually start moving towards sin. So this, this is where, where we start swimming, towards, toward the lure. Right? We start, I don't know how Nemo would do it, but anyway, we, we, start, we start swimming towards this thing. So we, so we actually start taking steps. We start messaging that person back. We haven't, we haven't blatantly crossed that line yet, but, but, but we're like, let me, just, let me just get a sniff. Let me just, let me just rub past the lure, you know? Just like, do a little bum dancing. Just, let me just, let me just, let me just get, get, get close to it. Right? You start window shopping, even though you've got no money to spend. You, you're browsing online. You, you're starting to hang out with those, you know, you, you plan to hang out with the people that you know so often lead you to compromise. You travel without any kind of accountability, even though you know that you need it. You take protection filters off of your devices, even though you know you need it. So you haven't done anything yet, but, you, but, you, but you're taking steps towards the wrong direction. You start scheming on how to cut that legal or, or ethical corner. Like, like you just imagine it. You start kind of moving and, you know, let me just test the water. Let me just give it some thought. And the Bible tells us to run from temptation. Like, don't drift. Don't hope. No, no. Run. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, for example, with sexual immorality, says, flee sexual immorality. Like, Run! 2 Timothy 2.25, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. That's not just sexual lust. That's like the, the lust of the flesh. Anything that's going to take you down a road that you don't actually want to go down. Run! Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. And enjoy, take a look at the strategy, the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. That portion right there is already giving you a massive part of the strategy towards overcoming temptation. Making sure that you're surrounding yourself with friends to your future. So if you know that you're weak somewhere, well, make sure you've got the right people around you that are going to have your back. That even know your vulnerability. And they're not going to shame you for it. They're going to have your back. They're going to prop you up. They're going to, they're going to protect you. They're going, to, they're going to challenge you and encourage you not to go down a road that they know is going to make life really hard for you. And so I just want to encourage you. If you hear 
today and you're just one step away. So, so you've been tempted, you've been fantasizing, and you've been taking steps towards it, but you haven't quite crossed the line. If, you, if you're like a step away, I'm, just, I'm encouraging you to just be real with God. Be honest, confess it, run from it. There is hope. You don't want to end up a trophy on your enemy's wall. You don't want to end up sushi in his belly, right? If we don't pull away, if we don't run, if we don't flee, we actually move on to the next phase, which is the act of sin. You take the plunge, you fall. Sometimes you regret it immediately, and some of you know what it is to cross that line, and you're surprised by how little you regret it. You're shocked by how bad you don't feel. Even though you always thought you would, but we don't realize that we've become so conditioned. We've been flirting with this for so long. We've been, we've been crossing lines and, and shades of gray for so long that by the time we actually do that final little line, it's like, oh, I thought it would feel worse. That's scary. Because slowly but surely, we've been spiraling down to what is right looks wrong and what's wrong looks right. But here's... The hope, here's the good news, is that Proverbs 24, 16 says that the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. You may fall, but don't let your faith fail. Run from sin and run to God. There is hope. Don't give up. Because if you do, then it will lead, it will lead, it will lead to the final phase, which is death. Death spiritually, financial death, spiritual death, physical death, relational death. And in virtually every case, it will involve the death of your destiny if we, if we allow that sin to keep growing up. When it is fully grown, guys, it'll lead to death. And so my encouragement to you, just, just on a side note, if you want to try and, and avoid it, and we're going to look at some ways to overcome this in a moment, but I would encourage you to, to magnify the consequences of sin. You see, when we're just flirting with temptation, then, then frankly, in that moment, you're not even thinking clearly. And, and so we're actually diminishing the consequences. But if we will actually almost draw a line and try and get conscious and wake ourselves up and say, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. What's at stake if I keep going down this road? If you think about your destiny, if you think about, about what's at stake, the relationships, what God wants to do through you and in you, that I'm going to be mocking his sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that, that I'm going to be forfeiting, hearing, well done, good and faithful servant one day. Guys, it's, let's magnify it. And, and if we can look, like, like I would even physically write it out if I were you. And next time you're wrestling over that, that, that you're looking at that lure, look at the list. And I think that there's a good chance that it will give you some perspective. In closing, let's take a look at a couple of ways that we can overcome temptation. James 1 verse 16 says, Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God. So, so he's saying, no, 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 guys, don't, don't be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't let the enemy convince you that what is good you know, from God is actually bad. No, no, don't, don't be deceived. Everything good comes from God who created all the lights of the heavens. 
He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Like God doesn't stop being good. Even when you're bad, even when I'm bad, he's still good. So don't let the enemy convince you, well, you know, you've been so bad, Jason, that actually God's also turning bad, as though I can change God's character. He's like, no, 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 no. No, no, God doesn't change. He's not like a shifting shadow. You can trust him. You can rely on him. What God gives you is better than whatever is tempting you. I love this passage in Luke twenty two thirty one, where Jesus, he's speaking to Peter, who in this case, he's still calling Simon. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon. Like he's saying, already, already I've prayed for you. I know that you're gonna, I know you're gonna be sifted. In fact, I know you're gonna screw up, Simon, but I've prayed for you already. I've pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, and turn to me again. Strengthen your brothers. I'm just telling you, there's hope. It doesn't matter how much you've messed up. It doesn't matter where you, what roads you've gone down. If we won't let our faith fail, if we will turn to God, there's a lot of hope. So here are a couple of tips on how to overcome temptation. Number one, confess. Confess to God. Confess to trustworthy, a trustworthy person or people. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, if we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. James 5 verse 16 says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Isn't it interesting? Like why? Why confess to a person when I've already confessed to God? And I'm not saying this is like a theological statement. I can just tell you that in my own experience that we go to God for forgiveness, but we go to people for healing. Like we, there's something God has done, God has chosen somehow. Like when I, when I confess to a friend, someone I trust, and bring it out into the light, it's like it just loses, it loses the power for the enemy. It's like now that it's in the light, it's like, now what? You know, it's like it's lost the power. But I'm telling you, no matter how much you confess to God, and some of you know what I'm talking about, when, when that's all you're doing, but you still feel like you're doing this by yourself, you, f- you, you just don't feel like you're overcoming this thing. Take a risk. Speak to someone because you're only as sick as your secrets. And it doesn't mean you should tell everyone, but you should tell someone. Take a risk with someone. And if that person lets you down, that's between them and God. And that's a serious issue, but that's between them and God. But for the last 20 years, I have honestly had to live with the conviction that I'd rather take the risk of someone shaming me than me trying to fight this by myself. I don't think I can do it by myself. And there's too much at stake. I need people to pray for me. I need people to have my back. I need people that I can be honest with and that will minister mercy. Confession. Secondly, is repentance. All the word repent means is try again. Change something. Change direction. So it's one thing when you say, God, I can't believe I did this again. I'm so sorry. Okay, but what am I going to do to try and not let it happen again? Am I going to keep going to the same places? Am I going to keep hanging out with the same people? Am I going to keep drinking the same amount? Am I going to keep uh, you know, the same spending habits when I know that it keeps digging this, this hole deeper? Am I going to keep watching Channels I shouldn't watch until stupid hours of the night. Am I going to keep, 
you know, uh, flicking through stuff on my phone when I'm tired. No, no, no. God, help me to recognize the triggers. Help me to recognize the process. Because if you're trying to, if you're trying to fight, fight failure right here at the end, I think you're doomed as opposed to trying to figure out some of the triggers and some of the... Some of us create the perfect environment for the enemy to lead us to sin. So let's change the environment. Let's not make it easy for him. That is all that repentance is. Accountability. Accountability is developing healthy relationships with friends to your future. You've got to ask yourself, the people that you give the most influence to, now, now you can be friends with all kinds of people, but in terms of who you allow to influence you, are they friends to your future? Or are they actually enemies to your future? Like, are they friends? So, so if they're only friends to your feelings, then they're an enemy to your future. But a friend to your future is going to care a little bit less about your feelings in that moment because they, they care more about your long-term health than your short-term happiness. And don't just be accountable on what you don't want to do. I mean, that can be a small part of it, but be accountable on healthy habits, on things that are good for you, things that are going to breathe life. I can't encourage you enough towards accountability. And lastly, and the worship team can come on up, and I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss how significant this last point is in terms of overcoming temptation, because I think for too many of us, We just think that I can fight it through sheer grit. Now, grit is needed, but it's not enough. I'm going to fight it through sheer discipline and willpower. We need discipline and as much willpower as we can muster up, but it's not enough. The final key, I believe, and the most important key to us overcoming temptation is falling in love with Jesus. More than anything else, temptation has one goal, and that is to get us away from God. If that's the primary goal, well, then surely the primary solution is getting to God. If I can draw close to God, if I can fall more in love with Him, if I will will give Him the space to, to show me, to remind me how much He loves me, if I will give him the space to encourage me with how much security and identity I can find in him. It's a game changer. I love this passage in John chapter 14, verse 15. This is Jesus speaking, by the way, not Jason, Jesus. Way more important. In other words, these aren't just good ideas. This isn't just nice, trite encouragement. No, no, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. How many of us are actually living like, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Right? How often don't we see God that way? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So you obviously don't love me, right? No, no. No, 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 no. Look at that scripture that we have on the wall. This is, this is how everything else in the Bible is summed up, Jesus said in that particular verse. Love me. Love God. Jesus was saying, just love, we just love, if you will love me, all these other 
commandments, all these other things, if you will love me and love people, you're putting it all together. You know what my concern is? That for many of us, that's not good enough. No, 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 Jason, that sounds sweet, but give me something more practical. Give me a a different key to stop feeling bad. I want to feel good. If I need God to feel good, fine, but I want to feel good. Some of us want peace and to feel good more than we want God. Not realizing that if we will actually trust God, we'll find peace, find joy. I'm not saying that you're always going to feel good, but I'm telling you that there's slowly but surely, if I will nurture a daily, not a weekly, a daily, intimate relationship with God, the Bible tells me that without even, I, I'm, I can't even help it, fruit will be formed. I will feel love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. That's what Galatians 5 Verse 21 22 says is the fruit of the Spirit. Not, not if you work harder, if you grit your teeth more. No, no, it's like if you will, if you will allow the Holy Spirit to if you will fall in love with Jesus, grow in your relationship with God. Faith. This is what James, James is saying. This faith, this faith that you have, it will form fruit. You want to know how to overcome temptation? Fall in love with Jesus. And I think that the greatest way to do that is to slow down. I feel like I beat this drum so often. I feel like everyone looks at me very politely. And I get it. But it's impossible to experience intimacy at speed. It's impossible to experience deep gratitude in a rush. It's impossible to enjoy today when I'm rushing towards tomorrow. It's impossible to be present with Jesus when my brain is is running all over the place to all kinds of other stuff that I need to get done and he's just a genie in a bottle. What do you mean I need to just like slow down and be with Jesus? Speed will lead to skimming. Skimming will lead to superficiality. And superficiality will lead to sin. You can try everything else. I'm telling you, if we won't slow down daily. In fact, many would argue more than just once a day. Like just find little moments, just five minutes here, 10 minutes there to just, not to do more work, like I mean work through more scripture, just to sometimes, just to actually just be with them, just to, if you have a lunch break, maybe just go sit under a tree somewhere. So what if they think you're weird? Just go sit, just be. For some of you that can't do that, Surely you're allowed a toilet break somewhere during the day. Go sit in the toilet. Put the seat down. Hopefully it's clean enough. And just sit. And just, and just, if you need, if you need a tip, go, just, just reflect on the Lord's Prayer. Matthew 6. Lord, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. Help me to care about your kingdom today. Your will be done on earth as it is. Forgive me. Help me to forgive others. Lord, would you meet these needs? Like, just be real with God. Or, or on a different day, you're reflecting through Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. 
lead me on the path of everlasting life. And I'm telling you that if you create the habit of slowing down, you might just be surprised to actually sense God's whisper. See, this is the problem. If you've done freedom, you know this to be true. Our physical appetite, when it's ignored, gets louder. Our emotional appetite, when it's ignored, gets louder. Our spiritual, the spiritual part of us, it goes quiet. And so unless we quiet other stuff down, we don't get to hear the whisper. God's not going to compete. And so that's why, in conclusion, James 4 verse 6, won't you stand with me actually as I read this over you? This is my final encouragement to you. James, again, is just offering encouragement. Listen to these words. He says that he, that is God, he gives grace generously. Generously. He's not stingy. Regardless of what the enemy has convinced you of, God has never had a stingy moment in his life. God has never been stingy with you. He's never been stingy with his kindness. He will never be stingy with his grace. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee. You see the order? Humble yourselves before God. All all that that means is, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. I can't do this by myself. So I want to to encourage you to close your eyes for just a few moments. And if you're comfortable doing this, and if you feel like you need to do this, then I'd encourage you to even just lift your hands up in a sign of surrender. If you need to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. I can't do this by myself. I'm not good enough by myself. My willpower is not sufficient. God, I need you. Guys, that's all that humbling ourselves is. 